1: Hey there, it's Jingle Jared. Before we get started, I just wanted to tell you about one of my favorite music podcasts, Broken Record from Pushkin Industries. Broken Record is the podcast for music fans. Legendary producer Rick Rubin, author Malcolm Gladwell, former New York Times editor Bruce Hedlam and Justin Richmond get the musicians you love to open up about their lives, their inspirations, and their craft. And usually, they'll play a song or two as well. Past guests have included Questlove, Pentatonics, Roseanne Cash, and David Byrne. This season, you'll hear from Jack White and the Raconteurs, Brandi Carlisle, and Tanya Tucker, Tyler the Creator, and more. Our very own T-Bone Burnett was also featured on Broken Record, where he and Rick Rubin have an in-depth and honest conversation about process, artists' progression, and audience. T-Bone tells Rick about producing Robert Plant and Alison Krauss' Grammy-winning album Raising Sand as well as other artists he's worked with, like Sarah Bareilles. He even plays a few never-heard-before songs. Here's a short clip. Are you at a point now where you
0: you know sort of where the songs fit, and is there ever a calling to, like, say, okay, in the end of the second act, we need to add a song in this spot, Mm -hmm. and this is what it needs to accomplish in the story?
2: Yeah. In fact, I just wrote, we did a 20, they call it a 29-hour reading, which is you get all the actors... Up on their feet and they read the parts and uh, you sort of you do it without costumes or without sets, but you get the you get the gist of it, the tempo of the yes. thing. And I realized after the last one that there, I didn't have a beginning song for Roy and I didn't have an ending song for Dale, so I went back and I did that. I wrote a I wrote a, a good song called "Out of Nowhere" for Roy to start off with, so you meet him and strength and then dale needed a song, a song at the end of a heavy duty yeah. number at the yeah. end so yeah and i'm sure uh, we're gonna we're gonna open it in in atlanta in 2020 in the fall of 2020 and i'm sure once we get into the process of really getting it up and getting it in front of audiences there'll be a lot more changes to yeah. come yeah yeah beautiful
0: I love the um, the peace and surrender line. It's really good. Yeah. It's really right. good. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah and I love the tagline. The hook line is great. Yeah, everybody wants to live forever, yeah, but nobody wants to get old. So you know? good. <laughs> so good.
2: But when I accepted this commission, you know, to to write these songs for a musical, and I'd done a lot of work with Sam Shepard. He and I'd done a lot of things for plays, and but a musical's different because every line has to be intentional. You know, you can't write just a, a cool sound. Yeah, it's Yeah.
0: It's narrative.
2: Yeah, it is narrative. And and it became, uh, it was, it, it sobered me up quite a bit. And I started reading, I read Sondheim's books and I started studying Frank Lesser, who I think mm-hmm. was the greatest of all the, the Broadway composers, and Lerner and Lowe and mm-hmm. all these cats. And it became clear that I was going to have to dance or get off the floor. Yeah. So I started waking up every morning at four in the morning for about a year, solid, and writing when it was quiet. And then when I got through writing the 20 songs for the musical, I, I couldn't stop writing. So I, I've i written now, I don't know how many, I've, we've recorded about two hours of music. Fantastic.
0: We're going to start putting out it April 12th. Is the process of writing a song for a musical different than writing a song otherwise?
2: Yeah, it is because, yeah, because it does have to move the story
0: along. But, um, but but do you start with the music first or do you start with the lyrics? I started with the lyrics
2: because it's, as you say, it's part of the book, it's part of the narrative.
0: So you'd write it like a poem, basically. Yeah. Would you have a melody in your head?
2: Yeah, yeah, you know melody is really just codified inflection. So you're it's your storytelling no matter what. Mm-hmm. so the every sentence has a certain melody to it mm-hmm. and I was uh, so I was doing that. I was writing, but I would have a sense of the melody as it was going down. And then, you know I wrote, uh, we're putting out we're starting to put out records. I'm putting out three double records in the next year this year. Wow. I'm going to kind of work hip-hop because i see these cats they just put stuff out constantly yeah. so uh, we've recorded a, a lot of these tunes that have come afterward yes i stopped i really stopped producing other people for the most part although interesting i've just made a record with sarah Borellis that's really beautiful i'd love to hear that she's a beautiful singer unbelievable and um she's also gone through the experience of writing a play she wrote a musical of waitress and it raised the stakes for her too. Her writing has become much more resonant, deeper and higher. It's mm-hmm. interesting to hear her growth through the mm-hmm.
0: process. How is the collaboration with her different than her other records, would you say?
2: We did it more live, mm-hmm. which is what I mostly do. Yeah. that's the thing I like most. The thing I love about making records is when people are playing and singing all at one time it's and the you best. get they get finished and you say yeah that's great you know
0: it's such a great feeling it's such a uh there's something about people playing together that no amount of getting it right yeah counters the energy of the interaction that's people really
2: playing yeah perfection is a second-rate idea for sure and the computer is able to put out perfect music all day long but it's not nearly as interesting it's like those Johnny Cash records you made with him just sitting in a room with some people Mm -hmm. turning them on to a song Mm -hmm. you know and turning the whole then turning the whole world onto the song the same way so that's that's the process I like the most and I think the band was great she you know it was the same essentially the same band that was on Raising Sand Jay oh, Belarose played drums great. and Dennis Crouch played string bass and Rebo played guitar I love
0: that album so much that Raising Sand I rhythm. love it isn't that a beautiful it's record it's so beautiful yeah it really took me by surprise yeah. I, I don't know why I, I wasn't expecting it to be <laughs> so beautiful and just blew my mind
2: well you know both the, both of them have mystical beautiful yeah. voices yes and and it was interesting to hear him soften up.
0: Yeah, but on paper it wasn't necessarily a must-listen thing. Yeah, right. and then hearing it, it was mind-blowing. Yeah, I also didn't—I didn't know most of those songs, so I, so I didn't know that they weren't original songs. Yeah,
2: so they were original for most people. Yes. You know? Yeah, yeah, but uh, it's got some of that same. beauty. Sarah's record has Beautiful. some of that same. How did that one come together? Robert and Allison? Yes. Really, I think Bill Flanagan. You know Flanagan, oh, yeah, yeah. don't you? I, Flanagan was doing that show, Crossroads. Mm-hmm. And I think he wanted to do a Crossroads with uh, with Robert and Allison. And it ended up being a record. And then we did a Crossroads later. Yeah. But I think they met uh, from that idea of Flanagan pitching them on doing it. They met and they did a... They did a tribute to Leadbelly or something or somebody up in up in Cleveland, I think, and they enjoyed it. And then they called me up and said, "Do you want mm, to do you want to make a record?" And I sent them those two Gene Clark songs. Those are the first two things I sent them: yeah. "Through the Morning," "Through the Night," and "Polly," yeah. which I thought had those that Gene had that dark mystical vibe that they both have. You know, it's interesting now to to hear Robert sing low and soft like that, yeah. and go back and listen to Led
0: Zeppelin. It was and so help. beautiful. Yeah. It really showed another side, and yeah. it felt like a side that the, just the timing of it was right for him. You know, yeah. like to to hear him sound like that was a revelation.
2: Yeah, well, he, he sounded like a grown man. Yeah, made sense when before. I mean, he he says himself that his uh, the early Led Zeppelin records he sounded like a castrato or something. Yeah. You know, he was singing so
0: high. Yeah, and I and imagine that when he sings like that now it's more like he's imitating the old hymn, yeah. whereas raising sand sounds like more believable now
2: yeah, yeah i don't th- i i really don't think he could sing those songs he couldn't sing him in the range he used to sing him in, you know. Same with Elton. You know, Elton's voice has dropped a good octave or something yeah. like that. And he's got this beautiful, deep, resonant baritone now. And you listen to some of the old records, he sounds like he's on helium or yeah. something after after getting used to his voice now and, yes. and loving it and going back and hearing
0: them. Not that they aren't absolutely classic and great. Was, Same for Zappa. Was there any reason you didn't do a second one with... Follow-up to raising sand I don't know. Got, I think it was we may. So good. I
2: think we may do one I, one I of would, these days. I would
0: love that. Maybe we should do. One. Maybe we should I'm do down. it together. Let's do it. it uh, it's such a beautiful album.
2: Yeah, I th- I would love to do do one again. We we went in and recorded some songs and having. Been through all the success, so to speak. Yeah. The, the stakes seemed different when we went on the in the second
0: time. Understood.
2: And it didn't feel. I don't think any of us felt the same kind of freedom that we felt. It's so the first interesting. Time.
0: Isn't it interesting how how the stakes change the whole process? Yeah.
2: yeah, yeah. So, but but I think now it's been long enough, so we probably
0: sure. could go yeah. in and Square just play, line.
2: just play. You <laughs> <Yeah>. know,
0: <laughs> that'd be great. Do You have ideas of songs.
2: I hadn't thought about it that much. Mm-hmm. I mean. There, I've, I've just, there just been rumblings about, about it. So we'll see, we'll see where it
0: goes. Have you done any other collaborations like that, where it's been two artists who don't normally work together?
2: I don't think I have. Hmm. Have you done that?
0: Hmm. I, let me see. I can't see. remember. I can't. I've honestly, done, I can't remember.
2: I've done a, quite a few. You know, the Rolling Thunder Review, which was yes. this studio was part of that whole time. Yes. That was a beautiful experiment, and it was a master class in art and show business. I mean, there was every Allen Ginsberg and Ann Waldman were there. Sam Shepard was there. There were incredible musicians: Joni Mitchell was there, John Baez, and Howie Wyeth and David Mansfield. One great musician after another: Mick Ronson from and people from. I
0: Mick Ronson was part of
2: it. Yeah, people from all different parts of the world and yeah. different disciplines and different places, but everybody came together and collaborated, and it was a it was a, a tremendous learning experience that I've replicated or tried to replicate several times with like the Roy Orbison Black and White Night Show and that was incredible too. Uh, yeah, that was a beautiful incredible. evening.
0: Incredible.
2: And uh, it, it, I saw it the other day. I was watching it, and Leonard Cohen was in the audience. I'd forgotten that. I think that idea of like Aerosmith and Run DMC. Did you have yeah, anything yeah. to do with that?
0: <laughs> I suppose so. I suppose so. I for, yeah, I, I forgot. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to think. You know what I mean? It's hard to think about projects. Yeah, I know like, exactly. It's all just sort of. It's,
2: it's hard to even look back at all. For
0: sure, and I I rarely do. <laughs> yeah,
2: me too. Yeah. But uh, but that was certainly one of those that changed everything.
0: Yeah, and People the Beastie
2: Boys changed. Yeah, you know yeah. this. Them doing I'm Down.
0: Yeah. Did you ever hear that? Oh, yeah. Because it never hear? came out. It never came out It properly. never did. No, no, no. We couldn't get permission. It was supposed to be on that first album, License to Ill. might have been the last thing we recorded for it. We couldn't get permission. Uh, and it, it never came out. But I think it's on, like, YouTube or somewhere.
2: I, I heard it. Steve Herbofsky played oh, yeah, it for yeah, me. Yeah. Uh, when it just when then, it, yes, yeah, was. Then, yes. Because he was our an R guy, yeah. Yeah. And it was, it, I'm really D, you know. <laughs> <laughs>
0: fully d, fully, d. I'm fully i'm fully d, d, d yeah. i remember that's that. right yeah. so
2: funny so funny man yeah. they were cu- they were cutting up
0: yeah i did that uh i did the guitar solo and the organ solo neither are instruments that i really play and it's really shows
1: you know it's like uh- <laughs> season three of broken record is out now find broken record on apple podcasts spotify or wherever you like to listen